Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 48 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios right here in Dublin. It is, I hope you all had a very, very spooky, very folklorish Halloween, one and all. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're very welcome along. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's always the best place to get updates on everything to do with the podcast. And if you really would like to, please do continue to leave ratings, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and do leave ratings and comments. They really do help us boost up through the charts and make this podcast everything it can and should be. We are doing a live show. It will be, it is next week from the time uh, that this podcast will be released. This episode will be the last episode released before the podcast festival. We are performing in the Dublin Podcast Festival, the Fireside Sessions live show, uh, which will be an evening of storytelling of folklore, mythology, some true tales, and even some music, some songs. It is a BYOB evening right here in the p- brand new venue of the podcast studios here in Headstuff in Dublin uh, on November Sunday, November 10th at 7 p.m. Come along to the Fireside Sessions for tales, tunes, and a tipple as... Uh, as we really welcome, as we say goodbye to the autumn and really welcome in the winter, get in out of that winter cold and come in and sit with me by the fireside and let me tell you a few tales and sing you a few songs. It's going to be a fantastic evening. Tickets are extremely limited, the last few available now, so pl- and they are available through Ticketmaster.ie or you can find a link to that on my Instagram at Fireside Bard, all one word. That is the Fireside Sessions, November 10th, Sunday, November 10th at 7pm. Tales, tunes, and a tipple right here as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival. And this is a very special episode because this is a. We are moving on to now something that basically this podcast has been building towards since its inception. Because since day one, we have been making our way through the four cycles of Irish mythology, and we are now starting our fourth and final cycle. And chronologically, this cycle should have been second, but this is the big one. It's the most well-restored, it's the most well-known, and 
from my research so far and really delving back into it and starting to adapt it, I have a feeling this is going to be the best one of all. This is the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. This is the story of the Tawn, of Queen Maeve, of Cú Cullen, of Cunkabar, of Deirdre of the Sorrows, of just countless other incredible characters already. And it's... Chronologically, this could have, should have come second, as I said, but I really knew that I wanted to have as much of the year of writing and adapting these episodes and these stories. I wanted to get as good as it as I could and as confident as I could in adapting these stories before I tackled the Ulster cycle. Because there's the one that there are the most amount of sources for, and this is the one that people know the most. People will have some expectations of it. And also, there doesn't really get much better climax a climax of mythology than then the Tawn. The Tawn is considered the Irish Iliad. It is it is considered the greatest of our stories. And let's see when we really delve into it, we'll see if it really is and if my adaptation of it is in any way up to snuff. But we're starting with before the Tawn because the Tawn itself is just one epic story or one epic series of stories that form part of the Ulster cycle but there is a lot more to the Ulster cycle than that and this is where it all begins it begins with the birth of Conchobar Macnessa and with the pangs of Ulster and I'm going to chat to you a lot more about where I'm adapting these sources from and about a bit of the background to the Ulster cycle but I'm going to start off with the story itself to really get the ball rolling this is the story of Kunkabar and the Pangs of Ulster on Fireside. Kunkabar and the Pangs of Ulster. Once there was a princess named Nasa. She was daughter of Yucky Salbuiha, King of Ulster. When Nasa became a young woman, she would sit on the hill outside her father's keep and take in the kingdom. One day there was a druid named Cothbard walking through the plains, and the young princess called out to him, Ye there, druid, what is this day lucky for? As it happens, your highness, this hour is for begetting a king or queen. Is that so? Why, yes. Anyone conceived today who ascends to the throne will be known in era forevermore. And Nasa took one sweeping look across all her eyes could see, and she could not see one other man in the vicinity. So the princess turned to the young druid and said, Well, I suppose you'll have to do so. And Nasa took Cothbod by the hand, took him inside her home, and had very pragmatic and perfunctory sex with him. And this was no scheme that Cothbard was plotting. It wasn't as if he roamed the plains of Era, telling beautiful young women if they slept with him their sons would be king, although he probably could have gotten away with that for a good while. The druid's prophecy was sound, and Nasa became pregnant. The baby grew inside her for three years and three months, and she was ensured this lengthy gestation period was all to enhance the baby's future greatness. Eventually, the child was born, a son, whom Nasa named Kunkabar. Soon after the baby's birth, Nasa's father, Yucky, was killed fighting for the High King of Ireland at the Battle of Letharua. 
Rather than passing to his own family, the throne of Ulster instead went to Fergus MacRock. Nasa took her newborn child and moved in with Cothbot. For the first seven years of his life, Kunkabar was raised and educated by his birth parents to be the king they felt he was destined to be. But, without any connection to the throne, how was this going to happen? Well, after seven years, Fergus MacRock still hadn't married a wife. The duties of ruling preoccupied him too much. But one day it was suggested that he married Nasa. Daughter of the previous king, it's a good clean match, keeps the bloodline nice and pure, his advisers assured him. Nasa was not only of noble birth, but also happened to be incredibly beautiful, so it was not hard for Fergus to warm to the idea of this match and fall in love with Nasa. The former princess was brought before the king. Marry me, and our children will rule Ulster. I already have a son said Nasa. What happens to him if I marry you? I will adopt him and he shall have my protection. He will not bear my name or inherit my titles, but he will be safe from harm. That's not really good enough. Well, what would you have that in my power I could provide? Nasa was cunning, but also realistic. She knew there was no way that Fergus would allow Kunkabar to inherit the throne should a child of his own blood be born. But in her head, a grand plan began to form, and Nasa offered a compromise. Will you allow my son to be king for one year? Then you can reclaim your throne and pass it on to your own stock, but Kunkabar's children will still be sons and daughters of a king of Ulster. Fergus MacRock thought this over. His adviser whispered in his ear, Conkabar is only a child. Give him the throne. He will have the title, but everyone will know you are still king. With this assurance, Fergus granted Nasa's request. The two slept together, and the seven-year-old Conkabar MacNasa became king of Ulster. Immediately after the child took the throne, Nasa began plotting to assure he stayed there. She hired a Robin Hood-esque band of rogues and ruffians to pillage, plunder and thieve half the population of Ulster before donating all they had taken to the other half. Nasa also, on behalf of Kunkabar, donated all the gold and silver in her possession to the warriors of Ulster as payment for past and future wars. When a year was over and Fergus tried to reclaim the throne, the people of Ulster unanimously told him, We'll have to think about that one. To the Ulster men, Fergus had traded them like livestock, and all to win the heart of a woman, whereas Conkabar had been generous to them, giving them all he had. They felt he had their best interest at heart and should remain on the throne. Nasa's plan had worked perfectly. Fergus MacRock was forced to give up all future claims to the throne, and Kunkabar cemented his rule as King of Ulster. As Kunkabar grew in age and size, so too did the worship given to him by all of Ulster. Every day he was taught by his mother until he was the wisest man in the province. His temperament proved ideal for the role of king. He was never quick to make a decision. He would always weigh up every conceivable option until he was certain. 
He was also one of the most adept and natural warriors, but he was never allowed into battle because he had not yet produced a son. Every soldier and warrior was more than happy to die for this king. Every wedding that took place, Kunkabar would be offered the opportunity to sleep with the bride before the husband, so that he would always be first in every Ulster family. The same was also true whenever he was offered a bed in any home. If he so choose, he could sleep with the woman of the house. But many years into his rule, a great fair was held in Ulster. The main event of this festival was a mighty chariot race. Every great racer was there, but when the terrain had been thoroughly beaten and churned up by the hooves of many a horse, it was King Kunkabar Macnasa in his golden chariot, pulled by his great bulky steeds, who was the winner. And this was no fix. The Ulster men respected Kunkabar, and would have gained the king's own respect and not wrath should they have beaten his chariot. But Kunkabar did have the best horses and chariot, and his chariot and horses had the best rider. Around this time, there was a rich landlord of Ulster named Crinach MacAgamon. He was rich, arrogant, and inconsiderate, like every landlord before and after him, right up to the landlord who owns the property dwelt in by your humble storyteller. When Kunkabar won the chariot race and was declared the fastest racer in Ulster, Crunnock piped up, My wife is faster. This brief but potent statement sent a wave of shock through the fair and very quickly reached the ears of the Ulster king. Crinnock was arrested and taken prisoner, and the Ulster warriors were dispatched to fetch the landlord's wife to determine the truth in her husband's statement. The wife of Crinnock was named Macha, and when Kunkabar's men arrived at her doorstep, they found her eight months pregnant with twins. He cannot race in any chariot. I am about to give birth. Your children will grow up with no father if you don't. Krennic had given Maka a good life, but she knew well he was arrogant and boastful. In fact, the last thing she had said to her husband before he left for the fair was, Don't be shouting your mouth off. As if that's something I'd do. And that's the exact kind of thing he did. Despite this, she hardly desired her husband to be killed. So heavy with the weight of the two babies, Maka made her way to the fair. The landlord's wife was forced onto a chariot and told to await the king. It was here she began to feel the pangs of birth. She pleaded to be allowed to talk to Kunkabar privately, but she was refused. Failing this, Maka turned to the gathered crowd and implored, A mother bore each and every one of you. Please let me wait until my children are born. But the bloodthirsty, entertainment-hungry crowd would not hear her. So Maka made a proclamation that made them hear her. I will place a curse on every one of you gathered here today. This land we raced on will be named for me and my children forevermore. Kunkabar reached the plain, and the chariot race began. It was neck and neck across the entirety of the field. All the while, Maka screamed and cried the pangs of labour. The finish line was reached, and it was Maka who crossed first. 
as she felt the agonizing final push, the scorned mother cried out, All those who hear my cries on this day shall forevermore in their times of greatest difficulty feel these same agonizing pangs of childbirth for five days and four nights. For Maka was no mortal woman. She was one of a trio of gods, along with her sisters Bav and Neiman. Together they were known as the Morrigan, and they were the goddesses of war, famine, and death. And Maka's proclamation came true. For nine generations there was a curse on the men of Ulster, that in times of difficulty they would be cursed with the pangs of labour. There were only three groups of people spared, the women, the young children, and a young boy named Satanta. And the place where the race was held was named Eamon Maka, the Twins of Maka, which was anglicised as Navan Fort. The reign of Conquabar Macnassa, which started so strong, had now been tainted by Maka's curse. The first seeds had been sown, which would lead to the bloodiest war in the history of this land. To be continued. And that was the story of Kunkabar Macnessa and the pangs of Ulster on Fireside. And it has begun. The die is cast, the seeds are sown. That is the first tale of the Ulster cycle, or the first two tales, really. So, my the sources I've used for all previous folk tales and myths adapted on this podcast, they've been varying sources. But two of the Gospels, of course, had been um, W. B. Yeats' Book of Fairy and Folk Tales and Lady Gregory's Complete Irish Mythology. So, Lady Gregory has an entire like. Basically, it, the the her book on Irish mythology is split into two halves. The first half is every other mythology in Ireland, and then the second half is all just Cúcullán, is all just the story of the Tawn. And while Lady Gregory has been gospel, particularly for the mythological and the Fenian cycles, because she doesn't really cover the historical cycle. Um, and they've been really fantastic as densely written in their Kiltartan English, as she called it, as they are. And her Cúcullin story doesn't quite hold up as well for one very simple reason, and that's because she greatly sanitizes it. The Tawn is about as bloody and filthy and mouldy a story as you are ever likely to hear. There is There is a lot of talk of of uh, bodily functions, of sex, of violence, of just everything that we consider ourselves so desensitized to now, which of course in 19, 1895 or 1902, 1902 I think is when she released Kukul and Merhivna first, um, we're so desensitized to it now, but of course it would have been a much more conservative time back then. But Lady Gregory didn't think that people would be interested more so. She didn't think that that side of the story was worth preserving, despite the fact that that was a huge, huge and very crucial part of every 
old and middle Irish uh, adaptation and telling of the Tawn right back. The Tawn is thought to be set around the time of the first century. Cúchulainn is uh, often paralleled with Jesus Christ that he lived around the same time as that. So, But it's the first century AD that we're talking about. But evidence of the Tawn being written down starts around the 8th century, between the 8th and 12th century. 12th century is where we have one of the strongest complete versions of it. But of course, it orally would have probably been told you know, any time after the 1st century up to the 8th century before they started to write it down. So it's it's as old, it's, it is as old as it gets and it's incredible that it has survived as well as it has through so many translations adaptations and what we today have who we today most have to thank i think for how much we still know this story even though so many irish people myself included for a long time um lived in an embarrassed ignorance of, about a lot of Irish mythology because we hear about these characters in school a little bit, but we don't ever study any of them really. But it is an Irish poet named Thomas Kinsella who in the 70s, I think late 60s, early 70s, he adapted the Tawn into English. And he is, he is kind of why, according to Kieran Carson, who did another adaptation of the Tawn more recently, Kinsella is basically why we know it as the Tawn, um, rather than Anton Bocuna as it would be in the Irish. So Thomas Kinsella basically made this story accessible for everyone, but he also restored it to its full blown, bloody, 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 gory, sexualized, piss and shit, um, glory that is that it should have been. And it is spectacular for it. And he had us illustrated in these brush paintings by Louis Lebrocchi, who is one of the greatest Irish Irish uh, artists of all time. He actually went to the same school as me, obviously at very, very different times. I think he's... Did Louis Lebrocchi like, die not too long ago? He lived like a crazy long time. I think he was like 102 or something. Um because he was born, I think he was born in 1916, Louis Lebrocchi. Great name, not uh, not a name you would normally associate with an Irishman, of course. Oh, he died in 2012. He was 95. Still a very, still a very, very long life. But he, I digress, because he, he does these series of brush paintings in, in the town, which are my favourite illustrations in any book ever. They're absolutely stunning i want all of them tattooed on my body particularly uh a, a brush painting he does of the morrigan itself um of in the battle crow form if you can't get your hands on a copy of louis lebrocchi's tawn um the, his illustration of thomas kinsella's adaptation of the tawn then just do yourself a favor and just google louis lebrocchi tawn brush strokes and just see see watch some of them there actually it was amazing because um i've i have a lot of these books in hard copy but i got a kindle last year which has really saved my ass particularly um writing this podcast on the go just being able to have loads of my books on that um and i recently re-downloaded 
a couple of editions of the Tawn onto the Kindle and the one of Thomas Kinsella's one, it actually has uh, the illustrations included in the Kindle version, which is really nice. It's really good to see them even in the even in the pixelation of the Kindle. But um, what's been nice about going back to the the Thomas Kinsella adaptation of the Tawn because last year I'd read the Thomas Kinsella version when I was in school. I studied classical studies outside of school when I was in secondary school but and the Tawn was on the syllabus but I never studied it but I just read it in my spare time because I bought it thinking I would use it. And Kieran Carson is another writer who did a more recent, the more recent Penguin Classics version. And that's probably the, the shortest version of it. And it's really, really snappy. It's great. It absolutely flies along. And he did, he acknowledges, he treats Thomas Kinsella as God, basically, but adapts his own version. He doesn't try to make it different for the sake of it. Doesn't He doesn't have an ego as a writer in terms of wanting to put his own stamp on it. But it's a really swift, really snappy, very fresh adaptation of it that's brilliant, that flies along. But what um, what Thomas Kinsella's version has, they both have incredible introductions, but the Kieran Carson version is just the Tawn story itself, whereas Thomas Kinsella gives a brilliant guide in his introduction about the stories that lead up to the Tawn. And I want to adapt the whole Ulster cycle because there's so many good stories in it. And there is a lot in the Tawn that you kind of just have to accept for granted. And it's really exciting now discovering the reasons for all of those. For example, you have an element in the Tawn where the warriors of Ulster are just asleep and Cúcollin is the only one who's not. And Cúcollin single-handedly has to defend Ulster from the the armies of Connacht. Whereas here you start to see... You have this incredible story of the pangs of Ulster, of this curse placed on the men of Ulster by the Morrigan, that in times of strife and war and battle, that they will be given um, the pains of labour, which is just this incredible, like, totally original, unheard of in anything else kind of curse that I adore so much. And already you can see these. this is... One of the single greatest things about the Ulster cycle is these are the greatest these are the greatest women characters, particularly. As we've already seen, we get this introduction with NASA, and then we have Maka placing this cursed. Um we're gonna meet Deirdre of the Sorrows, we're gonna meet Queen Maeve. These these are incredibly fleshed out, vengeful, savage, unreal female characters to go alongside the incredible male characters as well, of course, like Cullen, and we meet Kunkabar here, um, who's who's ascent to power and his birth is more interesting, I would think, than him as a character necessarily. But I think that's just because I've been so saturated on this podcast. Like, not saturated, but we've had a lot of stories about kings because that's literally what the entire historical cycle was. I was just talking about king after king. So I was... I was hesitant to open this with just another story about the birth of another king, but that's why I incorporated it with the story of the Pangs of Ulster. Those were two individual stories that I meshed together and I think worked together. Um, In terms of how I'm going to do the podcast now for the next few weeks, obviously I usually do myth, folktale, myth, folktale, which has been a little bit more broken up since I did the two episodes on King Sweeney. The last three weeks have been Halloween. We had the two Halloween folktales and then we had the Halloween special last year with the readings 
of different horror and gothic tales, which I hope you all enjoyed. But with the Tawn and with the Ulster Cycle, there is an awful lot to cover. There's a lot of stories. There are seven stories before the Tawn even begins. Now I have amalgamated two of them already, and I'm sure a couple of the rest of them will build in together as well. But there's a lot to cover, and it's a lot of really, really good stuff. So, and we're coming to the end of the first year. Now, of course, it's not like we get to 52 weeks and then I move on. You know, we're going to go until the Ulster cycle is finished, in terms of Irish mythology anyway. And then we'll make regroup and make a plan of what we'll cover after that. But so, but I do, I do want to keep the folktale elements because I do think it it is a huge part of this podcast um, because the folktales are so often bring a lightness and they're usually what I would end up adapting and putting my own stamp on more so because the, they're more bones than than a tight plot whereas the tawn is very well preserved um, and of course it's going to be in my voice and there is going to be my version of it but when the I would pride myself on never changing anything just for the sake of it. And if it's just, if the stories are perfect as they are, I'm not going to change a huge amount of them. I mean, you guys can let me know what your thoughts are on that as well, of course, on how we're going to proceed. But I'm thinking that it is it is going to have to be nearly all focused on, it's nearly going to be the Ulster cycle from, from here on out for the rest of the year, particularly. I mean, I do want to include, hopefully, some as we enter the Christmas season, some Christmas folktales. And there are also folktale offshoots of the Tawn because there are so many stories of Cucullin. And in a very similar way to the very first episode of this podcast, which is the story of the Giant's Causeway, being a story about Fionn McCool that is in no way associated with the Fenian cycle, we ha- will have some folktale equivalents of that and some offshoots. We'll see how we go, but there definitely is becoming more and more of a plan of a, of a very strict regiment of how the stories are going to go for the rest of the year. And it's very, very exciting. I can't believe I'm here when I started adapting it, when I started adapting the Ulster Cycle uh, over the weekend, I couldn't believe that I was finally here and that the daunting task was unavoidable now that uh, that we're on it. But it's so exciting. The characters and the stories are so good straight away. I love them anyway. And I hope you do too and continue to love them. So I'm going to wrap things up there. I had a nice, nice little bit of a ramble there that I hope... I hope made sense and you get what I'm trying to do here. But I hope you really enjoyed the story of Kungabar and the Pangs of Ulster. Please do continue to follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Please do come to the live show, Fireside Sessions, Sunday, November 10th at 7pm in the podcast studios here at Headstuff in Dublin. Tickets are available at ticketmaster.ie forward slash fireside podcast. Last few of them available now. The next episode I record will be, it will probably be before the podcast festival, but it won't be released until afterwards. 
So I hope a few of you can make it along to that. It's going to be a great night. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's the biggest thing this podcast has done. And I think it'll really it'll really broaden our reach and help us uh, take this podcast even further and further. I want to start doing more and more and more live shows and incorporating more live music and mixing the stories with the music to to do things that and start incorporating more of my own stories as well to do all the things that I think can only really be done live. There are things that work incredibly well in the podcast that won't work as well in the in the live shows, but I'm really excited to to let the live shows become their own thing. And I hope that you enjoy them too and come along to them and that they help this fire this fireside to continue to burn. <laughs> So thank you so much, as always, to the fa- folks here at Head Stuff, to Alan, Paddy, and Connor, to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this podcast. And next week we will continue with the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows, one of the big, biggest, heaviest hitters of all. And I will see you all, you will hear me all, next time around the fireside. Thank you and good night. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.